Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. This is the commission that a couple weeks back, uh, Laura talked about discipleship. I want to read this because I want to do something together that is on the topic of how do we influence. Because this is Jesus' influence to his disciples. It wasn't good enough for Jesus to come on this earth, die, resurrect, hang out with 12, go back to heaven, and that's it. I want that to sink in, this thought that he left us on earth for a purpose. But we all have to pull from the same place. And this is the idea of unity. We have to be united, but it's not around someone's vision or someone's mission. It's not around a particular church of how the church reaches its neighbors. The mission has to be greater. It includes those things, but it doesn't, that is not the source. So I just want to read this in the ISV translation. The 11 disciples went into Galilee to the hillside to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Though some doubted, love the mixed bag of people. It's true on Sunday. Some see Jesus and they worship. Some see Jesus and they still doubt. It's true on Sundays. Then Jesus approached them and told them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, therefore, as you go, disciple people in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, because you will forget, I am with you each and every day until the end of the age. I will come back to this towards the end, the breakdown of reaching nations, but we can't start with that because this is the result of something that Jesus did. The thing that we started talking about last week, this concept of unity. Disciples could not do this unless they were united. And I started last week touching on the prayer that Jesus prayed. And I went into the last portion of it. And today, actually, I want to read that whole chapter. So if you have your Bibles, open it. If it's on your phones, go ahead. Pull out your phones, pull out your Bibles. It will be on the screen. I'm going to be reading it in the NLT version. It's John chapter 17. It's divided into three sections. I'm not going to teach on it. I just want to read it. I just want to read it together. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe you sent me. And then he pivots his prayer, verse nine. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you and you have given them to me so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost, except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. And then he pivots his prayer one more time. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will believe, actually for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want those whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. And these last two verses, O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. This is such a unique prayer. 
because this is not Jesus teaching people how to pray. This is Jesus praying to the Father. If you will, this is God talking with God. God talking with God. So we see this prayer before he's crucified. This is like such a beautiful piece of what's getting ready to happen, what what he's getting ready to do. John chapter 13 through 17 talks about the Last Supper, the conversations is what's happening. It doesn't directly talk about the communion aspect like Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. But there is a little glimpse in John chapter 6 where Jesus is saying something profound. And this and it's found in chapter 53. So John chapter 6, verses 53 and 54. Jesus is talking to the crowd. He says, so Jesus again said, again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. I believe that the unity that Jesus has established is found in the table. It's found in the communion table. And if, un- if, if unity is found at the communion table, then Jesus' prayer makes sense that the world will know how they love one another, how they are united with one another. It wasn't just a thing for us to grasp. I said this last week, but we are not the ones that are creating the unity. We are not the ones who are establishing unity. Unity came from heaven, came from the Lord, and he's calling and inviting us to preserve the unity that Jesus has established. He has entrusted it to his people. And I think that we unite under other things far more easily than around the table. Because it is easy for us to take people and have them unite under our particular vision than it is for us to understand what the table is all about. Because from there, unity is established. In John chapter 6, verse 66, after he says these things about eating his body and drinking his blood, at this point, it says, many of his disciples, those that have begun to follow Jesus, learn of his ways, follow him, many of his disciples turned away and they deserted him. I think Satan is after disrupting the unity that Jesus has established. And I want to take communion together in a minute. But before we do that, I just want to talk about some of the disruptive ways that Satan can disrupt our unity. Because if this is how the world will know, then this is Satan's focal point. There are doctrinal reasons to divide, like the authority of Scripture, 
if Jesus is God, if he's the savior, if he's the king, if he's the creator, if he's the one who died and resurrected, his death, his burial, his second coming. There are some doctrinal things that we must divide on. There are cults that pervert scripture, they use it to control people. We have to identify those. There are antichrists that are opposed to anything and everything that Jesus stood for. There are wolves in sheep's clothes who try to purposely lead people away from Christ. I want to highlight a couple of unity disruptors and see if you identify with any of them. One, unity disruptors are conflicts that rise above Jesus' mission. Whatever your conflict is, if it has, if it has risen above Jesus' mission, then this is a disruption, a disruption in unity. Competitiveness disrupts unity. Us measuring ourselves with each other about our spirituality, how much scripture we read, how much we pray, ministries comparing one with another, the growth, the expansion, the likes, the social media influences. Competitiveness disrupts unity. Fear disrupts unity. We've talked a lot about fear since 2020. But when you're gripped with fear, Satan is using that to disrupt unity. Another thing is immaturity can also disrupt unity. And too many times the church is immature, the Christians are immature, so they waver left, right, and they begin to fight about petty things. Most of the time, the disruptions of unity is done because of very, very petty things and not the significant theological differences. And have you ever been in a place where you fought with someone and it, have, it may have extended for a period of time, maybe longer than you thought, but after you made up, you realized how pathetic and petty it really was? And have you noticed that how many of those is what steals your peace and joy and disrupts unity? how more times than often the things that we fight over are nonsense. In the moment, they seem like a, I'm dying on this hill. Really? Really? This is the hill you're going to die on? Most of the time, the disruption of unity is done because of very petty things. Um, some, of the, some of the things are not even that petty because if you take it to another layer... Uh, we talked about this a couple weeks back, holding on to unforgiveness, right? Holding on to a grudge, letting that develop into bitterness could definitely create division. Um, so that's a serious thing. Um, unrepentant sin, right? Allowing us to make the, the sin that we commit as part of our identity, part of our character, so then we can excuse it. Well, this is what I do because this is who I am. Ego, ego can keep us divided and or unified under the wrong things. It's my way, this is how I believe. And if you don't line up with where I'm at, then you're off and you're wrong and we can't walk together. Sometimes our own comfort can be a unity disruptor because we don't want to budge with what's familiar. 
but we must grasp this truth that what holds us together, what we are united with, is far greater than what actually divides us. So, if you have a common view that Jesus is your Savior, raise your hand. That Jesus is your Savior. Look around. This is one of the things that unites you. What about Jesus being your Lord? Raise your hand. What about Jesus being your King? What about the Holy Spirit living in you? What about the Scripture revealing God's character to you? Let me now keep your hands up if this is true. Another thing that unites us is our shared enemy. Don't look at your neighbor. That's not your enemy. (laughs) Satan is our enemy. It unites us because if you hate your brother and you realize that Satan also hates your brother, you can pivot that hate for love because now you know that Satan's also aligning himself with you to hate your brother and sister. I heard someone say that if you have a hard time loving another Christian, remember how much Satan hates that person. That may pivot you to love your neighbor. And if they are true uh, Christian, I know, Christmas, I know, I know. But if you have disrupted unity and they are a true Christian and you can't walk with them, what are you going to do in eternity with them? These are the things that we think are so pivotal and so massive. And it's like Satan's just taking us and saying, oh, yeah, you uh, go ahead, fight. Go ahead. Be self-righteous that this is a battle worth having. And it disrupts the unity that Jesus has established. So we preserve unity. I'm going to get through this and we're going to take communion. We preserve unity through maturing and through going and, and, and to becoming who he is. So one of the ways is, um, is to preserve relationships. Um, and and how, how can we grow within our relationships? A few things, but cultivating them. Friendships don't happen overnight. They don't happen because you want them to happen. You become friends when you are intentional about reaching out to people, about meeting with them, praying with them. Cultivate friendships. Loving one another. Forgiving one another. Serving one another. Rejoicing with one another. Mourning with one another. Stirring up the gifts in one another. Confronting one another. These are great unity builders. This is, this is, these are great elements that you and I can see that Satan's going to use those things to try to disrupt unity. Another thing is to release grievances. So as you're sitting here today, maybe there's some things that you're holding on to that you're like, I can't let go of this. There's this word in scripture, jubilee. Jubilee literally is like the blast of the horn in Hebrew. It's defined in Leviticus 25 as a sabbatical year after seven cycles of seven years, 49 49 years. 49ers, yeah, okay. I see the prophetic. I see the prophetic significance in that. (laughs) All righty. 
And the, 50, the 50th year was a time of celebration and rejoicing for the Israelites because the ram's horn was blown on the 10th day of the seventh month to start the 50th year of universal redemption. It's a beautiful picture because it's the year that if you have any debt, you release it. If you have any grievances, you release it. Not just even relationally significant. So, you know, all the relational things get reset. The land also receives a year of jubilee where it gets to, um, if you're plowed on it, you have to give the land rest. Actually, it's really interesting that whole year, the whole 50th year, uh, nobody even worked. Like that one year of, you're off to mend all your grievances and to celebrate jubilee. Would you let one year go so that you can be at peace with everyone that you've offended for the, next, for the last 49 years? <laughs> when we release these things, when we identify these things, one thing that happens is Satan's grip on our life is loosened. Because when we hold on to these things, we give same permission to hold on to our lives. And when he's holding on to our lives, he's disrupting the unity that Jesus has established. And all of this happens when we come to the table. So I'm gonna read a couple of passages and then we're going to participate in communion. Luke chapter 22 says this, Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This is in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. We have communion every Sunday here, right before 10 o'clock. And we've been doing this pretty much all of last year and doing it this year as well. So if you want to partake in corporate communion, I would invite you for prayer at 9.30 and then to participate in communion together. Otherwise, our communion table is open throughout the service so you can partake at will. But today, I want to partake in communion together as a body this is a good time for us to reflect, to reflect and do a heart check, to say the things that we're holding on against another person, the things that we have allowed saying to drip into our minds. Will you release those things? And when we come to the table, the table confronts those things. So here's what I want to do. We're, we're going to do something a little different. So if you're new here, this is not something that we do here regularly, but I want to do this collectively. I'm going to take this, this section, and I want you guys to just, you're going to have to get up now and just come in a circle right here. We'll just find a spot and just, just round one circle, one circle, and another circle. Three circles for the Trinity, of course. So go ahead and just rally around, face one another. As the elements are being passed around, Make sure that everyone has, a, has the elements. 
If you have given your life to Jesus, Jesus invites you to partake in this communion as a remembrance of what he has done. This is the place where the Lord brings all people. Color is irrelevant. Status is irrelevant. Your bank account is irrelevant. Your age is irrelevant. God levels the playing field and invites every single person in the same way to the table. This is where unity, this is how unity has been established. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this to be united under what he has done. Let this be the place where we are reminded of the unity that Jesus has established. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians because as Jesus did this, Paul wrote as a continuation in chapter 11, for I pass on to you, he writes, for what I have received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. I want to read the second part because this is where I want us to focus and zero in before we partake. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So what I want to do before we partake is, I know you guys are in a bigger circle and we're going to partake in this way, but within your circle, um, subdivide with like four or five people. So we're going to go into smaller circles. Just, I know, I know this is a little bit not, just let's do this. Four or five people, just find, find a loop so there's no, one, no one's left out. Doesn't have to be an exact four, five, six people, just in smaller groups. And what I want to do is I want you guys to just pray one for another. Just pray for one, one for another. So I want you guys to hold up your elements. Even if you've taken them, hold up the empty one. It's okay. It's all right. And look at the person that, that is across from you. And I want everyone to say this out loud, that Jesus did this for you. And point and say it again and again to the person across. Remind, remind each other, he did this for you. Thank you. I'm so glad I'm not missed. Now, I want you to just close your eyes and just thank the Father for sending the Son for you.
Just find the words. Say, God, thank you for doing this for me. And Holy Spirit, as we are just focused on these elements, bring to our minds, convict us. If the Lord is bringing something to your mind, some grievances that you may have, something that you haven't dealt with, what you have to do is surrender it to the Lord right now. It's a prayer. Say, God, forgive me. I'm holding on to my sin. I'm holding on to my past. I'm afraid. Father, forgive me. So we're going to remain like this. I'm going to read a couple of passages, and we're actually going to dismiss. But as you partake, don't worry about just hold on to the trash for a second. John chapter 17, towards the end of Jesus' prayer, he says, I pray that they will be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, I am in them. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Mission is about being intentional. It's about how we live our lives in relationship to the Lord and to one another. Yeah, just look at the people that are across from you. Just, just, just this is the body of Christ. John chapter 15, 5 says, Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then John 15 later on, verse 26 says, But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me. Look at the person across and say, you have to testify about him. You have to testify about him because you have been with Jesus from the beginning of, of his ministry. So as we are just looking at one another and acknowledging like what this unity could look like, you guys, you're good, yeah. <laughs> I want us to understand that the unity is from this place. So whenever there's any diversion in our unity, come back to the table. Come back to the table. This is the most intimate thing you can do with the Lord, is sit with him and remember his death. Because from that, he will make things clear. He will put things into perspective. He will make sure that what you're chasing aligns with what he has for you. So I just want to ask as we wrap up, do you sense a stronger level of unity just by doing this? Raise your hand. It's such a simple gesture. And when you know that we are not united around one another, but we are united around what he has done, Jesus becomes the center of your circle. 
He becomes the reason for why we gather. He becomes the reason for why we sing, why we pray, why we praise, why we read scripture, why we develop disciples, why we are disciples ourselves, why we reach our cities, why we're going into the world where people don't know who Jesus is. He is our stirring. He is our fuel. So Father, I thank you for showing up in this place yet again. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you unite us. God, have us never forget what you have done when you died for us and you bled for us and you you united us through this act. You saved us. You adopted us. You revealed your value to us. You've forgiven us. You gave us eternity. In Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. You guys may be dismissed.